which was the first real sound that had ever been transmitted to a human ear by electricity. Hi everyone and welcome to episode 10 of The Music Dissectors, recorded January 16th, 2018. I'm your host David Holloway and my very valued co-host is Matthew J.C. Powell. How are, how are things, Matthew? Not too bad. I'm enjoying 2018, starting to write the correct year at the top of pieces of paper. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the right track. And is it still is it still the thing that you're meant to wait until the end of January before you stop saying Happy New Year? Because I'm over it. I think a week is enough. I, I usually stop saying Happy New Year to people around July. <laughs> okay. So. Oh, I don't like that idea. <laughs> I, it, it, just, it, it surprises me to see how they react. I'm always intrigued. <laughs> and are they thinking, is he wishing me a Happy New Year for 2019? Jewish New Year? Is it Chinese New Year? Is this some Uzbekistan thing? I don't know. Yeah, I like, I like the way you roll. But most importantly, we're, we're back for a new year. So um, as we said in episode nine, we were going to have a bit of a hiatus for numerous reasons, including Christmas and New Year and, and other things. So, um, But big thanks to Andrew Street for episode nine. We've had lots of good feedback on that. And I, I was just saying before, I'm, I'm, uh, I, it's not ploughing through because it's not about ploughing. It's quite a breeze actually reading through Andrew's book. It's great mm-hmm. fun. Um, but um, yeah, we... have, have you revealed the mystery yet of the, the worst songs? No, so I haven't got that far. So I haven't even got to Joe Dolce yet. So I'm, I'm oh, shut up your early. face. What? What? That's. <laughs> the, I, I actually expected to have it read by now, but I stupidly decided to uh, finish the Dark Tower series from Stephen King before I started this book. Oh, oops. <laughs> yes. So that was only finished, you know, last few days. How long like, can that take you? <laughs> oh, seven books. And you know Stephen King, he's not He writes, for, writes by the kilo. Yeah. Oh, yes. Um, so, yeah, no, thanks to Andrew for that. And we, we go on from one extreme to another again, going from The Hummingbirds to this episode where we talk about Bruce Springsteen. So The boss. Yes. As you'll hear in the interview, but hopefully not too much, is that this was a holy grail thing for me. If I had to list off five albums, this would have been one of them. Um, so it's a bit of a thrill to to talk to someone about that, particularly someone like Tim Pegler, who um, yeah, is a, a respected friend and uh, a very good writer and journalist. So it was a, a bit of a thrill to talk to him about that. So without further ado, let's jump into Tim and Bruce Springsteen. Hi, Tim. Thanks for joining us tonight. Absolute pleasure. So, um, 
I'm a bit excited as I think you already know that this is one of probably five albums that I'm dying to cover on the music dissectors. So firstly, a huge thank you to picking this and um, I'm hoping you'll verify that there was no pressure applied to choose this particular album. The only pressure I registered was not to cover a Kenny G album or possibly a second U2 album. (laughs) But U2 have more albums. What? (laughs) Before we jump into Darkness on the Edge of Town, which I'd I'd happily talk about for three hours and hopefully we'll avoid that though, um, let's get a little bit of a history of yourself like we always do. So tell us a little bit about your background, um, what you've been up to and, and... even any relationship to music, whether it's just as a fan or a, I'm pretty sure you're not a, a rock god yourself, but you might surprise me. Uh, aspirations of being a rock god, but uh, have never achieved those. So no, no, uh, no professional musicianship in my background. Uh, I've been a journalist for over 20 years now. Uh, I've written a couple of novels for young adult children and I'm currently working in the IT industry as a kind of an ideas man, I guess, more than anything else. So I guess uh, one of the things that that came through when you asked me about this and to to choose an album was that professionally I'm a storyteller and so I'm drawn to music that tells a story. And so I immediately thought of... The songwriters like, obviously, Springsteen, but Paul Kelly in Australia, Johnny Cash, Mick Thomas from um, Weddings, Parties, Anything, Tom Waits, Leonard Cohen, um, our own amazing Archie Roach, and uh, Ben mm. Folds and so on. And so I, I love um, songs that tell stories. And, uh, you know, if I can talk about Paul Kelly momentarily, um, you know, How to Make Gravy, just about brings me to tears every single time. I still I still love songs like Private Investigations by Dire Straits. Um, I don't know if you guys know it, but Still Fighting It by Ben Folds, yep. a song about a father and a son, is, is one that gets me every single time as well. And I know David and I share another favourite, and that's uh, Wide Open Road by The Triffids. Oh. So, you know, I, I, I'm drawn to music that, that has a story to it. Okay, so and then with um, Darkness on the Edge of Town, I, I, I think I know you well enough to know that you wouldn't have uh, gone out, ran out and, and picked this up on, on vinyl. It wouldn't have even been cassette necessarily. Oh, yeah, 78 cassette when um, this came out because I believe you're slightly younger than me. So I'm assuming you came across it later in life. Uh, thank you for the compliment. You know I'm slightly older than you, David. But uh... <laughs> Well, you look younger. Um, No, I I didn't actually own a lot of vinyl And I've got to say, if I go back to Paul Kelly again um, Gossip was the album that I, you know, wavered over choosing for tonight And that's the only thing I've worked out that I own digitally on vinyl and on uh, cassette and CD as well So, um, no, the story of um, how I came to uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town Uh my introduction to Springsteen was through Born in the USA. I would have been oh, yeah. in okay. uh, year 11 or year 12. And it was one of two albums that got me through that final year of school, that in uh, Purple Rain, Prince. Good year mm. for big albums. Um, I believe Purple Rain stopped Springsteen getting number one with um, Born in the USA. Uh, and so I, I 
had a bit of a phase of Springsteen, uh, but it was during his there was Tunnel of Love and a couple of albums, and they didn't really sustain me. So I dropped off for a number of years, and then the the documentary came along on uh, the making of Darkness on the Edge of Town. I'd always loved uh, the Born to Run album, and always loved the storytelling in some of those songs. And and then I really understood, or started to understand the um, the Darkness on the Island. Really, it was a no-brainer choosing it for uh, tonight. It's it's interesting to me that you. Um... You, you particularly focus on that storytelling aspect when, you know, the uh, Springsteen's first three albums are much more kind of epic uh, narratives and, and, and drawn out complex characters and stuff. And what, what uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town is noted for is, you know, much leaner, shorter, simple uh, songwriting. Um, so it's, it's interesting that you're, you're sort of seeing it as, as an extension of that storytelling when, most of the sort of response at the time from from critics was, well, uh, you know, Bruce has turned a bit of a corner here. He's he's not doing the big storytelling anymore. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yes. There are there are still there are still stories in there. Obviously, that's what Springsteen does. But compared to, you know, anything on Born to Run, for instance, uh, they're 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 much more compact, much more. I suppose you'd say radio friendly. Yeah. David's uh, squeaking in the background there in protest, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no, I, I agree. I agree with the more radio friendly. So they, they are shorter uh, songs as, as a general rule than Born to Run. I mean, one, one of the reviews, and I think it was the original Rolling Stone review, basically made out that it is a better sound quality, although I have my opinions on that as well, as far as it's not the wall of sound. I, 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 dis- I disagree with that. I, I, I much like, I much prefer the, the, the epic um, stadium sort of feel of, of Born to Run. Oh, myself. absolutely. And I think we need to discuss that because I agree. I hate the sound on Darkness on the Edge of Town. And um, I was going to mention later that Steve Van Zandt did a recent interview. He's been long known for hating the sound and wishing that it, it could be redone. Um, and he's tried to talk to Bruce Springsteen a few times about doing that, but Bruce won't be in it at this stage. Not that Bruce, even Bruce, I believe, has acknowledged that the sound on that album isn't ideal. But, um, yeah, more radio-friendly, but uh, the reviews tend to still talk about it being fairly epic topics, songs about losing hope or, rede- you know, getting redemption uh, the whole Four Corners thing, as far, like Born to Run, as far the, as... The, the, the subject matter's still there. Yeah. But in, ter- in terms of the, I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to tell you the beginning of the story, and then I'm going to go on about the middle of the story for a little while, and then I'm going to maybe give you the end, or maybe I'm not, depending on my mood. That's not really there. It's it, they're, they're, they're more... God, I, I really hesitate before calling them. They're, they're more like pop songs. Because yeah, yeah, they're, they're not, they're not, they're not pop songs, but they're they're more in the form of pop songs. It's interesting that you would say that because watching the documentary, Steve Van Zant is almost scathing when he says Springsteen had all these great pop songs and he threw them out. He threw them in the bin for <laughs> um, the darkness to the edge of town, and so they had something like seventy songs they recorded yes. for this album, and they you know end up using I think it's you know ten or twelve. Yes. Um, uh, I guess my take on it as a piece of storytelling is that it's thematically, it reads to me like 
I guess, a Tim Winton book of short stories. You've got the strugglers in every single song. You've got the the hope and the hopes being dashed in almost every single song. Uh, you've there's no real in Springsteen's words there's no love songs there because he didn't have the guts to write one at that stage of his life. So it really has a consistency throughout it. And I want to know. I want to jump into each of those short stories and find out more characters. You know, ending on that um, the character who's talking about a lost love who he can't afford to be with basically she's got a style she's trying to maintain i think is the is the lyric um and he says look if she if she ever wants to make contact she can find him at the, the you know the wrong the wrong side of the tracks at the dark end of the town and um i i love that stuff i i just think as as a piece for me this is a novel it's or a collection of short stories yeah I don't get that same consistency of theme from any of the other albums. Yeah. And, okay. And, and I, mean, I will, I will further agree with you, Matthew, as far as looking at the Born to Run track listing, you've got Racing in the Street and stuff on Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is on the longer side. But you're right, compared to, say, Jungle Land, uh, Back Streets, even 10th Avenue Freeze Out and Thunder Road, they are definitely longer songs. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's a conceit. And, 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 and bigger stories. Yeah. Yeah. And if great you want stories to... and great songs, but do they feel like they're as connected as the ones on this album? No. I guess is what I'm asking. No, <clears throat> no I agree. I don't know. I don't know. Uh... Like going from Thunder Road to Tenth Avenue oh, Freeze Out is a yeah hell of a jarring experience compared to some of the changes on Darkness. Okay, okay, okay. I, look, I, I'm I'm coming at this from somebody who I I prefer Born to Run. You know, my, my, my own personal, I'm not a huge Springsteen person, but this compared to Born to Run, which is my favorite Springsteen album, yeah. um, I, I, I feel a, a, a connection between the songs on, on Born to Run that maybe isn't there for somebody who d- doesn't like it as much. I don't know. Whatever. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that, um, so my favorite song, by Springsteen, and I guess it's close to a tie between um, The Ghost of Tom Joad and uh, Thunder Road, but I've actually named my blog after Thunder Road because that, that song speaks to me as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I love Thunder Road, but you know, it, so, it, feels like, it feels like a Bob Dylan song to me, Thunder Road. Yeah, it does. It does. And it was interesting. I was listening to some of the outtakes from Darkness on the Edge of Town tonight, and uh, the alternate version of Racing in the Street sounds a lot like Thunder Road. Mm, and really? You could, it may be a transitional song for him. Um, I guess one of the differences for me, or, or actually Springsteen calls this out on the documentary as well, he says Born to Run was an album about running away, you know, escaping, whereas Darkness on the Edge of Town is all about staying and struggling and compromising and just, you know, just resilience, I guess, fighting against the grind. Yeah. So that, I guess maybe maybe it's my phase of life, but that, that's where I identify more at this moment in time. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I'm not sure whether this is the right juncture to talk about the sound, but, I mean, where I've struggled, I mentioned with Darkness, I don't like the sound. It's because a lot of the songs on that album I didn't truly know well until after I'd, I'd really got into his live stuff. So... I'd argue nearly every single song on Darkness on the Edge of Town is now ten times better live than what it is on that album. 
Uh, whereas with Born to Run, it's a little bit of a closer dice. So you were lucky enough to hear the album played end to end live, and I've yes. got to say, until until I heard that recording, I didn't really like um, Adam Raised a Cane. There was a, there were a couple of songs that I thought, eh, you know, they're they're a bit they don't stand out like the others. Yeah. But when I heard it live, I thought I had a newfound respect for all of those songs. And then you get like the keyboard solo in Racing in the Streets and, and you just think, oh, you know, I can die happy now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He is a hell of a live performer. Yeah. Uh, I've best best concert, I've, or best performer I've ever seen live. Because you've seen him a handful of times now, haven't you, Tim? Uh, three times now. So yeah. after, you know, wasn't able to go when I was in year 12 and then didn't know about the Tom Joad tour. And so it wasn't until Hanging Rock a couple of years ago that I got to see him live and, and it, it met every expectation, yeah. surpassed them. Um, yeah, agree. And just on, on as far as live shows, I've just got the top 10 songs he's played live in his whole history. Um, and uh, number one, not surprisingly, is Born to Run, and number mm. two is Thunder Road. But unless I'm – oh, no, 10th Avenue Freeze out there as well. So three of the top ten come from Born to Run and three of the top ten come from uh, Darkness. I would have really? thought Badlands might have been up there. Yeah, Badlands, the third most played ever, uh, and then The Promised Land, mm-hmm. which is from Darkness, obviously is four. 10th Avenue Freeze Out, five. Dancing in the Dark, six. Rosalita, seven. Born in the USA, eight. Hungry Heart, nine. And Darkness on the Edge of Town, ten. There you go. Interesting. Yeah. So 1,575 times he's played it live. (laughs) And he still makes out he's not sick of it. I shouldn't shouldn't name names here, but I I went to a concert by a very high-profile Australian artist, at the art centre many years ago and he just, he basically swore at the start of the night and went, yeah, really, I'm not in the mood, I can't, I'm not going to play any hits tonight. Yeah. And that is well and good for the uh, the diehard fans, but my brother and sister, who I dragged along with me, both fell asleep in their seats, literally slept through the oh, concert. So you've got to mention names, otherwise it's guessing. Like the one that comes to it, like I could imagine Mark Hunter from Dragon doing that. Nope. Paul Kelly would never do that. Paul Kelly did do it. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> this must have been in his um, lesser days when he was a bit um, had some other issues going on. Uh, it wasn't wasn't his finest night, I can tell you. No, gee, there you go. Wow. <laughs> anyway, that, uh, that that really surprises me. I, he, I say that as a big fan. Absolutely. Um, all right, so let's. I, 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 I mean, you, you talk about the songs that he's performed most live. Uh, if you if you look at his greatest hits compilation that came out what about ten years yeah, ten years or so ago? Yeah, yeah. I got longer than that. I'm just looking at it. Uh, 1999. Oh, okay. Um, you know that has 15 tracks on it. One is from Darkness on the Edge of Town. It has Badlands. There you go. And, and see, I would agree with that based on I don't like the sound quality of that album. That To me, that's a good choice because the other albums do sound a lot better. But if, yeah, you record it in a farmhouse and you deliberately <laughs> want to make it rough, well, you know, they've, they've achieved that. And I think that was a, a stylistic choice. It um, was. Yeah. He yeah. says, uh, quote, 
I stripped it back to its barest, most austere moments. I wanted something like a tone poem, no distractions from the stories. I wanted yeah. apocalyptic grandeur. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Look, it, 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 is, it is a reaction, I think, in a, in a lot of ways to Born to Run. I think he, you know, at that stage he'd had the, the breakout uh, hit of Born to Run. He'd had the huge um, tour, which apparently he, he found himself overwhelmed by the mm. tour, he, he he was tearing down posters uh, in London um, because he, he he couldn't handle it. Um, so you know, it, and and then he had the big dispute with the manager. Yes, uh, that that uh, sort of kept him from writing or recording anything for over over a year. And so th- there's there's a kind of a reaction um, built into Darkness on the Edge of Town. So yeah, you 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 expect something epic like Born to Run. This is kind of the opposite of it. Which totally. in, 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 in some ways is a bit of a pity. I think Badlands as a track could use a bit of the old Waller sound. Um, and he does that live now. It essentially is. It's a, yeah, it's a massive stadium rocker now. Yeah. yeah. An, an, another one that I think, you know, the, or the, look, there's a, there's a few tracks on that I think would benefit a bit from, yeah, you know, blow it up a bit. <laughs> give, give it a bit of excitement. Um, but... Uh, well, yeah. that's definitely at Steve that, Van Zandt. At, at that time, what he, what he wanted is to, is to you know, shut it down a little bit. Yeah. Be absolutely. raw. And like, I think like, the like other... Like the Beatles wanted to do with Get Back, and then they brought in Phil Spector to, uh, to uh, foul it up. <laughs> I, I guess the other thing that's possibly going on is you've got a guy who's he's come from Struggle Street and he's, uh, he's had issues with his dad. Uh, suddenly he's this mega star on the cover of Time magazine. Mm. And, you know, this this is a source of conflict for him. And so he's trying to reconcile that with where he's come from and who he is. And I, I think this album is very much the, um, the tribute to people like his dad because you've got tracks that really are blue-collar working songs like... Um, Factory. To, Factory, yep. Uh, that one in particular, there's a lot of father and stuff, uh, father and son material mixed into this album, and I think that's that's a, a good theme as well. And what, one of the funniest things is, as a teenager, I heard Factory for the first time, from, not from Springsteen, but the Flying Pickets, the a cappella group, the killer version <laughs> of it, and I assumed it was their song. <laughs> I actually like it. So I still like that version better. <laughs> It's funny the song, the version that you hear first is yes, often the one you uh, you warm to most. Yeah. Uh, did, did did anybody else you know know that Manfred Mann's "Blinded by the Light" was a Springsteen song? Yeah, I did that one. Um, <laughs> but and I like Springsteen's pronunciation of the lyrics better than Manfred. <laughs> well, well, while we're talking about other people recording his songs, you know, one of one of the songs that he threw out yeah. and couldn't fit on this album, you know, went to Patti Smith um, right. because of the night. Yeah. And uh, she talks about being given this this tape and, you know, not really wanting to do it. And then her boyfriend wouldn't ring her up. She's waiting up for him to call and she's listened to this tape over and over and over again. And she said it ended up giving me the one hit song of my career. Yeah. So. It's, it's interesting that, uh, you know, that Springsteen did throw out so much uh, material. And as I say, um, um, Van Zant's quite scathing. He said Springsteen could have been one of the biggest pop stars in the oh, world, but gotcha. he just didn't want to do it. No, that's right. And I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Fire was a throw-off from these sessions as well. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, it's just amazing. Yeah, and the, the promise, so for those uh, more casual Springsteen fans, in recent years, um, it was just over the 30th anniversary. I think it was the 32nd or 33rd. Anyway, whenever it was, they released the box set and the promise which is an uh, an album they reissued is what i think tim is 10 or 12 no it might be even more than that songs 20 it might it might be a double albums worth of the the throw-offs and there it's easily a good quality double springsteen album that without any much work whatsoever it's a good quality anybody else album i wouldn't say i'd rate it against springsteen's best stuff no, true. Uh, but there are some really strong songs on it, and and poppy songs, and um, you know rockabilly stuff, and uh, it, it just it just doesn't fit with the story he's telling on Darkness. No, that's right. And if um, Steve mm. Van Zandt and his outfit have a new album out, like in the last twelve months, called Soulfire, and if you listen to that, you can see the impact Steve Van Zandt had as producer on Darkness, the Darkness Sessions. He was very much trying to get that brass section. Um, soul sort of feel into some stuff and it obviously didn't fit so probably looking more at at specific songs so it's difficult with an album like this that i'd agree is is pretty well connected but do do you have favorites that you would tend to come back to uh, more often than others absolutely and i'll shout out to a couple of mates that i hope will hope will listen to this podcast at some point so um I'm a member of a bizarre group of dads that go bike riding on a Wednesday night after dark because that's when our kids have gone to bed and this this is an opportunity for the uh, the dads to do some exercise. And so I think of myself and some of my mates that, that bookend their days, you know, unloading and stacking the dishwasher before they go out to exercise. And so there's a lyric in, in Racing in the Street that says, some guys, they just give up living and start dying little by little, piece by piece. Some guys come home from work and wash up yeah. and go racing in the street. <laughs> and I always, I always thought the wash up was a bit funny, but uh, it kind of fits perfectly with, with my crew and the fact that, you know, we do the dishes, then we throw on the um, middle-aged men in lycra gear and off we go. Now some guys, they just give up living and start dying little by little, piece by piece. Some guys come home from work and wash up and go racing in the street. Tonight, tonight, the strip's just right. I wanna blow them all out of their seats. We're calling out around the world. We're It's, we're not car racers like uh, the, uh, the <laughs> characters in this album, but uh, we used to, back before uh, significant birthdays, we used to race bicycles and uh, crash them regularly. So yeah. there's, a, there's some identification there. That's great. And I guess another one um, is The Promised Land and, and, again, a great, great live track uh, mm. if, if you're lucky enough to see it. 
And I just think, you know, when you when you get to your, your 40s or your 50s and you've been working for a number of years and, you know, maybe you haven't paid your mortgage off yet and it's getting to be a bit of a grind, I think the whole idea of I get up every morning and go to work each day but your eyes go blind and your blood runs cold, sometimes I feel so weak I just want to explode, explode and tear this town apart, take a knife and cut this pain from my heart. Find somebody itching for something to start. I get up every morning and go to work each day. But your eyes go blind and your blood runs cold. Sometimes I feel so weak. I just want to explode. Explode and tear this old town apart. Take a knife and cut this pain from my heart. Find somebody itching for something to start. Put off on the street house. This person's still got the fight in them, and I think that's what this album's about. It's, uh, you know, it's it's about hopes and dreams and and the compromises that you've got to reach to um, to pay the bills in between. So there's there's a couple of the standouts. So I've already talked about uh, darkness in the at the edge of on the edge of town. I still love that line about the ex having a style she's trying to maintain. Yep. And the disdain there around, well, if she wants to see me, you can tell her I'm easily found. Um, you know, the the baggage that comes with an ex-relationship and yet the hope that that album ends on with, you know, he's going to be up on the hill uh, with everything he's got, lives on the line where dreams are found and lost. And I think, you know, good on him. He's still having a crack, whoever this character is. He's uh, done the hard yards and he hasn't given up. But that blood had never burned in her veins Now here she's got a house up in Fairview In a style she's trying to maintain So they're some of the standouts, and I mean, you can't go past Badlands. And and really, what I've just done, and this had never occurred to me, but when you look at it on vinyl, you open with Badlands, you finish side one with Racing in the Street, you open side two with The Promised Land, and you finish with Darkness on the Edge of the Town. And they deliberately structured the album so that the strongest uh, tracks were, you know, start and finish of each side of the of the Mm. LP, and. um, you know that that's that's writing a novel as well, as far as I, as 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 I see it, a book with the ups. Yeah, it's something something that's been kind of lost in the digital age, isn't it? How how you structure the track listing mm. on an album? Exactly. You know, Absolutely. How, how, what, what do you put at the end of side one that's going to make people want to flip to side two? <laughs> uh, I, I don't think people write albums anymore, really. Do they? Not for that and program. One, yeah. 
No, that's that's one of the things I look for. I, I look for an album where the songs seem to flow from start to finish, and that, that I feel like they've been connected. And, and that's not to to be disrespectful to someone that can write good individual songs, but if you can, mm. I guess it's the the storyteller in me. I, I want to see the chapters connecting together or some sort of linkage between the songs. And you're and you're right; it doesn't happen as much now. Sorry, I'm just looking through the the most played songs. Just. Um... <laughs> Uh, you mentioned Promised Land there. I mean, he's only played that twelve hundred and four times, so it's it's pretty fresh for him compared to Born to Run. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, but and you've also essentially rattled off, uh, you know, two thirds of the album for for good reason. Um, and I mean, Matthew, any favourites? I, I, I'd put on the running sheet that might because I always list a couple of songs that I know are favourites from the album we're talking about. But I've just put the whole album because I do. And as Tim mentioned, was lucky enough when I can't remember which tour it was, the 2013 tour. I think it was he was doing albums end to end. Might have been the more recent one again. Um, and was lucky enough to be in Sydney when he chose to do Darkness from from start to finish, which I was pretty wrapped by. Um, so that's why I just tend to like the lot. But Matthew, any standouts for you? Uh, well, I mean, uh, Badlands. Uh, obviously, the, the the opening track is a standout. I I quite like. Um, sorry, just looking at the track list again to remind myself the title. Prove it all night. Yeah. Uh, which which I know in in a lot of ways it's a little bit problematic. Um, it's maybe not the strongest song, but it, I don't know. It it, it touched me. Well, it, and it's, it's actually such a strong live song that it's known for having, and Tim, I, I don't have the exact details down there. I know they call it Prove It All Night and then there's the Prove It All Night 78 version. And I think the 78 version being the album version and then the Prove It All Night being the more live version. Anyway, in Springsteen oh, really? okay. Law, it's considered there are two versions and the, the live version has this amazing, oh, it's two or three if not four minutes of instrumental in the lead up to it, and it's incredible. Okay, that's interesting. And it's it's one of the again one of the things that happened with this album is he recorded multiple versions of many of the songs, and so I've, I'm lucky enough. My wife bought me for a birthday the uh, his note a copy of his notebooks for the album. Oh, great! And and you can go through and see him rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. And again, as I guess as a as a storyteller i really i identify with that i don't like rewriting but it's part of part of the job and you get a better story or you get a better song out of it and so he um with racing in the street the the final verse is about um you know the relationship um, between the man and the woman and how things aren't going all that well and he he did versions of the song where the the woman wasn't in it at all it was just Mm. a car racing song so Mm. I, i i liked it this, it's been through iterations before he's got to where he wanted to be. And, I mean, they know how to appeal to us old blokes. So when you talk about the notebooks, for those that are unaware, with the Darkness on the Edge reissue for the, the anniversary, they release this beautiful um, – well, it's like a box and it's got um, a spiral-bound, uh, I believe, 100% accurate replica of the studio notebook that Springsteen oh. – worked on his lyrics in so it 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 just looks superb 
Oh wow! It is. It's 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 magnificent, and and you know, just going through, you can see the characters coming in and out of different songs or um, the the different versions. I if we, we look at a song like uh, Candy's Room, like mm. there's a lot of songs about Candy. I'd always kind of guessed at her maybe being you know a sex worker probably. Mm. Um, but it wasn't until I really sat down and, and read the lyrics and listened to it again. I thought, okay, yeah, and this this is not a love song again. I mean, it's a song about a, a young man who thinks maybe he's found found love, but uh, you can tell it's not going to end well. To get to Candy's room, to walk the darkness of Candy's hall. Strangers from the city call my baby's number and they bring the toys. When I come knocking. She smiles pretty, she knows I'm gonna be Candy's boy. There's a sadness hidden in that pretty face, a sadness all her own, from which no man can keep Candy safe. We kissed, my heart was just in my brain, and the blood rushes in my veins, the fire rushes through the sky. Driving deep into the night I go driving deep into the light Candy's eyes She says, baby, if you want to be wild You got a lot to learn That's the best kind of love song, though. That's right. <laughs> yeah, they're the more interesting ones. And you mentioned the four strong songs. I know it's... Um, I think the same was with Born to Run. They took the four corners approach I mentioned earlier as far as the, the opening tracks on side one and side two were the more upbeat, Finding Redemption, and then the, the last two um, on each side more about, yeah, maybe there's not that much hope after all. Although I agree with Darkness on the Edge of Town, there's a lot of optimism on the part of the male character right at the end. Um, what can I say? It's an upbeat on the end of you know an album that has uh, a lot of a lot of downs in it, if you like. So it's it's a good place to end, and you know if you want to leave your listeners with with hope, then you've done your job, I reckon. Yeah, and and so I think you've probably already explained this, but I've, I know you're a Springsteen fan across all these albums. If you had to encapsulate why this one over the others, it's it's probably that storytelling and the connectedness. Absolutely, it's for me that idea of a, a book of connected short stories that you could drive into some small town in in you know rural America, and you know the kids revving their cars in the street could be the kids that are out of these songs. Yeah, and and those the racing in the street, and um, it's not something in the night because that's from one of the earlier um, albums. Um, yeah, no, something in the night. That's right. Those two songs. I mean, I just love Roy Batan anyway, and his piano playing. But they're just incredible songs. Um, it, it, it's interesting. I listened to a live recording of the concert in Perth uh, early last year, and there's a song on there that from his very first album, which I didn't know at all, and the name momentarily escapes me, but it features uh, the flood oh yeah um and the flood features a big car crash in it as well and uh, i just thought wow you know 
where does all this car racing come from? He doesn't strike me as a car racer. But then, then I read the auto, autobiography um, over well, sometime last year, and his father raced, and so this is something he's he's picked up on, I reckon, yeah. and and used as well. And so taking a, a bombed out bit of metal and putting a big engine in it, and then you know living on the edge, uh, risking your own life to get some thrills probably to break the monotony of the life on the factory floor, you know, we get it. And, uh, that, that's, that's, I think that's a theme that'll, that'll be timeless really. Absolutely. And I mean, I'm wondering if it's worth for those, if you, if uh, of our listeners that have battled through as non Springsteen fans to try and explain, cause it's, it's one of those things, if you've not listened to a lot of Springsteen, particularly if you're around our age, just slightly younger and, and all you really know Springsteen for is dancing in the dark maybe Hungry Heart, maybe Glory Days. So two of those three from Born in the USA. And you go, well, what's all the, the hype about? And I didn't get it myself. I mean, I loved Born in the USA when the singles came. I thought, oh, yeah, they're catchy. But it was only in my early 30s when a Canadian friend made me listen to some of his older stuff that I went, oh, okay, I get it now. Um, so I'm wondering if it's trying to trying to, to come up, worth trying to come up with a, an explanation of why people get so committed to his work and I, I aside from the songwriting it just tends to be that live experience that I, I've dragged people along sometimes reluctantly to a Springsteen concert and they've come out the other end going okay get it now yeah you've you've been lucky to get to more than me I think but um absolutely the live experience for me I think again it comes back to the to the writing and obviously mm. not every not every album is as strong as as the as the next one but uh, you know, this is a guy that has become extraordinarily successful, but he's still sticking up for the little bloke and the underdog. And as an Australian, that's that's that ticks a lot of boxes. Oh, he, yeah, he's, he's certainly got a long history. And I know he's copped a lot of flack, or not just in recent years, uh, but also during the, the Obama years for his political stance. But I'm, I'm always amused to hell that people bag him out like oh why don't you the amount of times i've seen the comment on facebook in particular from people why don't you go back to singing your songs and quite the quite rightful response from a lot of fans is have you not picked up that he's had a political yes. stance from day one like what haven't you picked up about this where, where are you not paying attention yeah. really yes i mean well, uh, it, it, it's like ronald reagan using born in the usa yes. at campaign rallies it's like did you listen to the lyrics really Oh, it's a bit like Jimmy Barnes has had to tell certain right-wing groups yes. not to use working-class men at their rallies as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so I think of songs like um, "The Ghost of Tom Joad" yeah. is a is a is a brilliant track. But when you hear it played with uh, Tom Morello from from Rage yeah. Against the Machine, suddenly it's not just a story song. It's that's activism. You know, that's that's anger yeah. writ large, and and that is just passion i love that stuff so um yeah. that that's why i'm keeping listening yeah. and, and look remember in in 2006 so what a, a dozen years or so ago now uh he did an entire album of covers of pete seeger yes. songs you know it's the, it's the only time he's done an entire album of covers of somebody else's stuff and it's pete seeger yeah Okay, yeah. you know, you want to you want to know where he sits politically? Yes. Pete Seeger. 
know? And I, I really like it, actually. It's um, There's a couple of tracks on there that really get your foot stomping. Oh, and, and, you know, it's it's fun. And it's a bit like, say, Wilco doing um, working with Billy Bragg and uh, those those Mermaid Avenue songs from mm. – um, uh, forgotten the songwriter's name from the past. So uh, I, I, I think it's a homage and, and you know, yeah. that, that's fun. <laughs> And you know, frankly, if you if you think songs about how, uh, you know, the, the the rich take advantage of the poor and the poor just get downtrodden, are uh, you know offensive to your politics, I think you're the one that needs to think about your politics. <laughs> that's, that's right, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and just to paint the live experience uh, without obsessing too much about it, to go back to the point about why do people tend to like him so much, even people. So I, I took a good friend. Um, and one of the pre- previous guests on this podcast, actually, um, to a Springsteen show. And, and and Dave is one of those guys that he's got an incredibly broad appreciation of music. So I, I always knew he would enjoy the show. He certainly had a, a good awareness of Springsteen, but had never seen him live. And he was an example of someone that came out the other end going, oh, holy shit, I had no idea just how good he was live. Um, and just bringing even family members that just didn't know anything outside of born in the USA and they go he just played for three hours or three and a half hours and didn't stop and and gave it his all the whole time you go that's right Mm. I mean the first the first show I saw where I saw him with the bucket of ice water next to Max Weinberg's drums and dipping his immersing his whole head in the ice water about two and a half hours in so he could keep going and he'd go, this guy <laughs> at this stage was, I think he was 62, 63 at that stage. And he still does it. I mean, he's 67, is he? He's getting up yes. there anyway. Yeah, 67. And he's just, he, he'll play for three. I mean, he's just doing this Broadway show at the moment. He's do, been doing it for, what, three months roughly? And he's got another... And how much... How much would you kill for a ticket to that, Dave? Oh, I know. And it's all sold out. So I think, I believe he's extended till June or something. He's extended anyway. And he's, he's doing, I'm assuming, five, is it five shows a week? Something like okay. that. It's it's just incredible. So to, to um, you know, pay tribute to what you've just said, I think it was 2014 when I got to see him the first time live and I yeah. went with three of my um, best mates. Now, we had an amazing night at Hanging Rock. And when we heard he was coming back uh, the following year, I think it was, yeah. and he played um, some, some shows in the city in Melbourne, uh, three of us said we had to go again. It was, a you know, we didn't even, you know, think about it. We just went to buy the tickets. The fourth one said, no, I cannot surpass that night. Yeah. I don't want, I, there's no point trying to top it. So he's he's never come back, but uh, the the three of us uh, have been back two more times, and on the third occasion, two of us bought our uh, sons, who were I think at the time maybe fifteen and fourteen, and for me that was you know I just thought I've got to show my show my yes. kids this once they're old enough because this is not to be repeated. Uh, that's how good it is, and they were impressed. Uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I don't know that my son would listen to Springsteen, um, you know, by choice. But if um, he knows the the big hits, and if they come on the uh, on the radio, he'll sing along. And it was funny when I when I put the documentary on the other night to to bone up for this interview. 
uh, the, those first couple of bars of um, Badlands came on and he went, Dad, Springsteen. Yeah. Thought, oh. <laughs> my work here is done. My, my, it's spot on. <laughs> no, that's gold. Yeah. And it's, so, I mean, at, at risk, I, I mean, I think we may have sounded like uh, two or three fanboys, but it, it's not from a, a point of mindless fanboyism, if there's no such word anyway. But um, it's it's been developed over time. And, yeah, if you do get a chance to go and see a live show, and relatively compared to some artists, he's not super expensive. He's not cheap, but I've certainly, um, Matthew, and I'm not, this is not slagging McCartney either because he's massive, you know, it's McCartney, but I think his tickets were slightly more expensive than Springsteen. Not not great deal, but a little bit more. So, Springsteen does worry about the cost of tickets as much as he can control it. And okay, I suspect I, I, Taylor's... I don't know how much, I don't know how much those, a Springsteen ticket cost on the last time he toured here, but, um, you know, McCartney was anywhere. I think that the cheapest was $175. Bucks. Oh, that's and, probably about the same and, then, yeah. And, 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 and the most expensive was 2000 Yeah, Yeah, well, there weren't any 2000 ones that I was aware of, but... Your baseline might have actually been very similar. I, I know I paid for general admission five, like, you know, in the crowd five from the front. I think I paid 220 for those. Did, did you notice, Matthew, how he got that in and he was five from the oh, front? Oh, look, I've still got the YouTube video. <laughs> and I, I won't link it in the show notes of me touching his boot when he crowd surfed over the top. His boot, <laughs> his boot knocked the ca- the, my iPhone and knocked the camera off. That's when the video ends. Justice. Yeah, I've, I've still not washed that hand. It's absolutely gross. You should see it. That was four years ago, but I've still not washed it. And by way of comparison, I think when my daughter went to see Taylor Swift, the tickets might have been more expensive than what I paid to see Springsteen. Yeah, yeah. So I think really? yeah. <laughs> so I think we paid homage uh, relatively well there. Um, just to just to point out, you know, McCartney is uh, seventy five years old, and he also does a three hour nonstop show. Very true. Yes, um, I, was, I, I got exhausted just just watching him. What what um, I know there are some dedicated fans, and then there are less dedicated fans. I was going to maybe talk about this um, after our interview, but I think Tim will appreciate this. My brother and I were meant to go together, but I was unable to attend. So my brother sold the extra ticket on eBay. Um, so that someone could come and he actually made quite a tidy profit on it. And um, the guy that turned up and sat next to him for the show, him and his wife had been trying to get tickets for weeks and hadn't been able to. Um, unbeknownst to his wife, he took, he bought this ticket, left work, turned up for the show, texted his wife, and I won't go into the specific language, but basically texted his wife saying, um, eat excrement, I've got a ticket, I'm coming on my own, ha, ha, ha. And, oh. and sat next to my brother whilst receiving, um, you know, minutes of abuse via text from from his wife. But then he left twelve songs before the end. Oh no! <laughs> my well, brother I don't was think gobsmacked. Anybody likes him. <laughs> my, my brother was gobsmacked. Like, why would you pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a ticket and leave twelve songs before the end? Maybe he was in fear of his life or marriage. Yeah, his marriage was officially over and he was trying to go back and get the dog. <laughs> I would say so. Uh, sorry, that's totally off topic. Got, got, got to get out of here while the good divorce lawyers are still available. <laughs> that's uh, anyway, that's off topic. I'd never well, not really. If, if you Google Twist and Shout with Springsteen and McCartney, true. you get to see a pretty rocking good uh, guitar solo. So <laughs> yeah, very true. They both go hard. Yeah, Absolutely. 
Tim, thank you for that. You've you've made my year, and it's it may only be the first episode of the year, but it's going to be hard to top this because it is one of my probably five holy grails to talk about. So you, you've made me very happy. But more, more importantly, I hope you've enjoyed talking about it. Uh, it's been fun, and uh, I feel sorry for Matthew. He's been uh, unusually quiet in this episode. I think. <laughs> You, you, you guys, the, the the Springsteen fans, it's just been – I've just been sitting here basking, basically. The, the the warmth of your love for Springsteen has just been sustaining me. Yes. And if we can get a <laughs> few more people to go out and watch, you know, the poor bugger needs the money. We've got to get some more people to his shows. <laughs> well, I, let's just say I couldn't have talked this long about Kenny G anyway. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, look, basically what you rattled off, Tim, was uh, most of my Hollywood. So, I mean, I'd love to talk about the Triffids, Paul Kelly – um, you mentioned another couple there that I thought, oh, they'd be so good. So I, I know one of my you, other you, choices. You mentioned Archie Roach. I got to I got to throw in Kev Carmody there as another one who's yeah. uh, you know an Australian songwriter that's that's worth a chat. I was lucky enough to well I don't know lucky's not maybe the right word but I was at the opening of the National Inquiry of the into the Stolen Generations and. Oh, yeah. Archie Roach came along and and sang. They took the children away, and I can tell uh-huh. you there was there was not a dry eye yeah. in the house. And uh, I've seen him perform live a couple of times, uh, and we, with his um his uh, wife, who's not with us anymore yeah. as well. Uh, very very powerful performer, and we need those stories told. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, I think that's a perfect note to finish. Thank you, Tim been a pleasure thank you guys thank you all right matthew i've got to ask how bad a fanboy was i in that interview look i only cringed maybe Two, three times. Tops. <laughs> That's not too bad then. <laughs> not not too bad. Not as bad as it could have been. Good. Not as bad as it could have been. No, you 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 were you were uh the the, the, the very picture of control. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, <laughs> you don't want to see me to Springsteen concert, but yeah, no, it was good. So um I promise No, I want to see that video. Oh yeah, well I'll send you the link. Kicked. Yeah, I want to see that. Yeah, no, I've got I've got video proof. I touched his – and I, I'd like to say I, was, I showed a greater level of decorum than my friend that I was with. Um, so I grabbed him. When he was coming towards his feet first, I, I thought I'll grab him on the boot. Um, my friend grabbed that, him. That's tasteful. Yeah, my friend wasn't quite – he was a bit more forward. He grabbed him straight on the bum. He wasn't missing oh, out. Yeah. And he wasn't missing out on the opportunity. No, no, but a bit of uh, boss bum there. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you got to take your opportunity while it comes. And I understand why he wears very tight jeans now. You got to have some protection there. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure they're metal-plated jeans. <laughs> so, yeah, big thank you, Tim, for that one. And um, yeah, I think we all have our Holy Grail albums. And um, I said, hopefully, next time it's one of your yours, Matthew. And I, I, I know I'm not going to give away mine. Although Tim, I, I think I in the interview mentioned he, I think he rattled off a couple of bands that are in my top five, but we're going to get that Beatles choice eventually. Somebody, somebody out there has had their life changed for them the first time that they heard a Beatles album, I know. And it's probably a female entomologist. <laughs> it's prob- probably some, some woman who, who works with bugs who 
really loves beetles of all kinds. Oh, I see. And, uh, oh, see, I'd never even and, thought and, of that. And all spellings. <laughs> see, that'd be just too funny. Um, see, I'm stretching it now. I'm you really... are stretching it. It's <laughs> on the borderline of dad joke, but it's still good. <laughs> Until we get email feedback to the to the contrary, it's still good. <laughs> so, yes, no, thank you, Tim. And, um, yeah, we'll be back in roughly a month. Um, I believe we're back on schedule anyway. It should be New Year. So, um, I know. Yeah, Happy New Year, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. And may, may 2019 be great for you as well. Um, as always, we love hearing from you. So if you've got an opinion, suggestion, or you want to offer yourself up as a guest to review an album you love, then please do email us at contact at themusicweek.net. Um, our Facebook page is at facebook.com forward slash music dissectors. Um, and, yeah, any album you'd like to talk about, we're interested. So we went back to 1978 tonight. We still – we need a couple more in the 90s, I'd argue, and I'd love a 2000s album just for something different. Um, but that said, anyone that comes up with 70s and 80s, I automatically start drooling, so I can't be that fussy. Um, but we'd love to hear from you either way. Um, to tell us the album that changed your life. Absolutely. We want to know. Unless it's Kenny G. Or Joe if, 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 Look, if, if Kenny G changed your life, then, you know, you need to change your life back. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, we, we'll, we'll, we'll give you names of some good therapists. <laughs> uh, you'll find previous episodes of the show, as always, on iTunes, and we are also to be found on Stitcher and TuneIn, um, and you can actually listen to the episodes directly on our website as well, www.themusicweek.net. So, yes, thanks very much for listening and thank you as always, Matthew. Thank you. It's been fun. And, yeah, we'll be back in a few weeks as always. But in the meantime, find a new album to love. Good night. Good night.